Welcome to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams and Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Tennessee rivalry game on Saturday against Vanderbilt. You know, in years past, Tennessee's come into this game needing a victory to get to a bowl game, but Tennessee left nothing to chance on Saturday, just destroyed a South Alabama team. South Alabama team that came into the game with five victories, so it's not like they're the worst team in the FBS. Uh, you know, this was, this was a 5-5 five and five team coming in on Saturday, and, and uh, Tennessee made them look like nothing. Adam, you were there. What did you think about the way the Vols took care of business, got themselves bowl eligibility secured going into this game against Vanderbilt? Yeah, I think what the thing we can say about the Josh Hopple-led team, especially with what they do on offense, is that the teams you think they're going to beat, they really, really beat. Um, I think the uh, the point spread was what something like 21 points or something like that against South Alabama. 60 to 14 obviously far exceeds that. I, I picked that game 50-something to, to maybe 17 or something like that because I, I had that feel that this is what we're going to get out of Josh Hopple teams. Now, are they going to ever be able to beat an Alabama or a Georgia or anybody like that? I don't know. But when they played Missouri, you thought they were at least a little better, and they won that one by about 40. When they played South Carolina, the same thing, and they won that one by 25. Um, that They did the same thing in this one and then some. The, the teams that you feel like they're better than, they're going to extend that score quite a bit, which leads us into the Vanderbilt game that uh, – I don't see Josh Hopple as the type of coach that's going to win a lot of games by 10 points. Um, and, and I think in this one, I think you've kind of got a setup where um, you're dominant on offense. Vanderbilt does not do any one thing really, really well. Um, it, it's a game that the Vols should get up early and pull away with, and that's what they've done in all those other games I've mentioned. Uh, yeah, thanks for the uh, betting advice, Adam. I'm going to – Get some money out of savings and lay it all on the Vols this week. What's the line now? Is it 31 or something outrageous like that? 32? It is, yeah, it is enormous. And and so maybe they're they're maybe the uh maybe Vegas is around my thinking. because uh, that is a really, really big line. But but that tells you what what type of team that uh, I think Vegas thinks this, this is. Well, it also tells you what kind of team and 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 don't take this personally. I know you covered for Vanderbilt, although you're a very objective reporter, but you do have you've been there. So I think Vanderbilt probably factored into that line too, because it's a betting line and it's moved by fans betting on the game. And I just don't think there are a lot of people out there who are emotionally involved with the Commodores and say, I know it doesn't look good, but you give me that many points with the Commodores, I'm taking them. John, I know you, you always get your, your thumb on the pulse there of that, that Vanderbilt program, and you're, you're quick to rally to the Commodores' defense here. So, you know, this is the first year of the Clark Lee era, and he started in really about the most embarrassing fashion I think you can start an SEC tenure. He lost to East Tennessee State by 20 points. However, Clark Lee took that low bar coming into this season, and he said, you know what, fellas, this is about a mm, foot and a half too high. However low this bar might be, I need to knock this down already, all the way down to the ground level. You can step over the bar, it's so low. 
And so I'm going to do that by getting trounced by East Tennessee State. Now, since then, Vanderbilt's bounced back. They beat Colorado State. They beat UConn. They held Ole Miss to a two-touchdown game. They came within nine points in Missouri. Can we say, Mr. Commodore Positivity John Adams, that after that shaky start, Clark Lee is exceeding the bar for this season? Oh, there's no question, Blake. In fact, if he if he can, if he can beat that betting line, if he can come in under 31, 32 points, you sign that guy to a six-year contract worth about, I don't know, $60 million and move on because good times are coming. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't – yeah, he's – in fact, uh, you've mentioned Coach of the Year candidates. If he cl- comes close in this game, I mean, don't you don't you have to look at his body of work in the second half of the season and where Vanderbilt was last year? It didn't win any SEC games last year. If it threatens to win one late in this season, got to think about him. Well, and he didn't win. In, they didn't win any games at all last year under Derek Mason. SEC only schedule, sure. But you look at this year; they've already they've already won two games. Yes, they lost to ETSU. But they did beat Colorado State on the road. Why they were playing Colorado State on the road? I no idea. Uh, I, and then it, beat, beat UConn. I, I think uh, I really believe this with all my heart and soul that if Vanderbilt and ETSU played again this Saturday, it would be a close game. Closer than three touchdowns, for yes. sure. Yes. All right, John, you've, you've floated Clark Lee out for, for Coach of the Year. Adam, maybe a little bit more in the land of the, the rational, not to suggest that John was being facetious anyway there, but I heard some Tennessee fans starting to talk about Josh Heupel for Coach of the Year. Seven, a chance for seven victories on Saturday amid all this this dark cloud hovering above the program coming into the season with Pruitt's firing, the NCAA investigation, et cetera. How seriously do you think we should we should consider Josh Heupel as a candidate for SEC Coach of the Year, assuming Tennessee beats Vanderbilt on Saturday? Well, this is one of those, um, I can't remember if you guys are Heisman voters or not. Uh, I am. And the, the way the Heisman goes is you have a, you know, you have a first, a second, a third. Uh, you have tiers of, of votes. And, if you did that with SEC Coach of the Year, which you don't, you only pick one guy. But if you if that's the way that the ballot went, Josh Heupel would probably finish second, in that he would get a lot of second place votes and a lot of third place votes. Um, he's not going to get very many first place votes. You know, I, there's a quite a deep respect, I think, for what Heupel has done. Um, he has injected his personality. Maybe I shouldn't even say his personality, his football personality, which is an aggressive style. He doesn't come off that <laughs> as his regular personality, but his football personality is to be aggressive, and that has come out on both sides of the ball with less personnel, less talented personnel than what was there last year under Jeremy Pruitt. So it, it's fair to mention him in that conversation. I mean, him and Shane Beamer are in the same – category as first-year coaches that have done more than probably than certainly they should have now Heupel beat Beamer so that knocks him off the list Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman I think are in another category of guys that took you know teams and just took them they they brought their team back and brought them up at least a notch better but my vote unless something changes in the next week my vote's probably going to go for Kirby Smart you know it's one of those conversations we can have every year of 
the guy that coaches the absolute best team, can you really give him coach of the year? That this is the conversation always with Nick Saban, right? You, well, you should just give him the 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 trophy every year, the the award every year because he has the best team every year. I think it's different for Kirby Smart because he's in the same conference as that guy that we talk about. If you're going to say Nick Saban can can earn that every year, then Kirby Smart in his one year that has a very Saban looking team, um, he should get it. Um, they're one of the top ten offenses in the country. That's overlooked sometimes. And Kirby Smart has a defense that is giving up seven and a half points a game. Number two on the list in the nation is 15 points a game. His defense is giving up half as much as the number two team in the country uh, on defense, Oklahoma State. So I, I think Kirby Smart has to be the guy. I think Josh Hopple, if I was marking up my ballot, would probably be number two. And I, I think, you know, that, that's more than UT fans could ask for when he was hired back in January. I think uh, Kirby Smart certainly deserves a lot of credit. Uh, going unbeaten in the SEC is an accomplishment. However, uh, he did it in the SEC East. And and look at the SEC East. I mean, it's a mess right now. Uh, we've talked about this before. I think Blake and I did it on a podcast once before, and we said uh, any other team from the West except maybe LSU, which has fired his coach and had a a record number of crucial injuries. Uh, any other team in the SEC West uh, would have finished second, at least, in the SEC East. So <clears throat> I'm not giving it to Kirby for that reason. That's probably unfair, but what's fair? Uh, I tell you, my winner, uh, We've. Uh, I think I would go with the winner of the Egg Bowl. If Mike Leach wins that game, he's beaten five nationally ranked teams. I, I mean, that's who else has done that in the conference. And not only that, John, but Mississippi state was picked to finish last in the sec West. If they win the, they win the egg bowl on Thursday night, Mississippi state would finish five and three. That would put them second in the West. Correct. It, am I, am I right? There? I don't I mean, know if I could, if they win that game, they, yeah. Yeah, because uh, they beat Texas A&M, so they have the tiebreaker against Texas A&M, which also What has about three. Arkansas? They lost Arkansas. But Arkansas's got four losses. Okay, yeah. And, so yeah, what so. a Yeah, what an accomplishment. Not not from worst to first, but from worst to second. I mean, uh such an accomplishment and I guess so if Lane Kiffin if Ole Miss wins, um then you got to look at the job he's done. Uh, he has completely reshaped an awful defense. Everybody knows he can knows he can coach offense, but his defense was one of the worst in the country last year, and it's been acceptable this season. And I give him a lot of credit for bringing in transfers and doing a quick fix. And he's done all this. He's won all these games this year. He's only got two losses, despite having his receiving core depleted by injuries. And he – I don't know if he's had a game all year where his wide receiving core was intact and his offense is all has so much to do with those having three wide outs that can make plays. So I think I'd give him to the winner of that game and I'd knock the loser down a notch and, and put Josh Heupel second. Like Adam said, 
Josh Heupel won't get many first place votes, but he'll get a lot of seconds and a lot of thirds. So I'd give him second. I have to admit that I actually forgot about Leach. Uh, it's it's strange to forget about a personality like that. Leach may go all the, if he were to beat uh, Ole Miss, he may jump up to second or third on my list. Him and Heupel would have to duke it out there, but I'm. Um, I think your point about being in the East with Georgia, I think that holds water every other year. I think you can't penalize Kirby Smart for being in the side of the conference that's nowhere near as good as the as the dominant side. If he was winning games by seven to ten points against teams in the East, I think that would be something to consider. The fact that he has dominated in the way that he has, that Georgia has, I think that's maybe why he has a little bit of an edge in my book. I think that shows I might have a little higher standards than you, Adam. But <laughs> with the, like in like with Vanderbilt, it's the yeah. same same argument. <laughs> That's right. And I think this this sort of portrays the problem that Josh Heupel has to mounting a serious candidacy to um, to SEC Coach of the Year is. I think Kirby is the overwhelming favorite. I I would I'm not sure if I'm getting a vote this year or not. Sometimes you don't find out until the last minute. But if I got a vote and if I were to vote today, I would vote for Kirby Smart without hesitation. Um, number one, I don't hesitate to vote for the guys that coach the best teams. I don't necessarily think that should be used against you. But number two, I think even if we look at preseason expectations, yeah, Georgia was expected to be really good. But Georgia was predicted, or in the preseason polls, Georgia was ranked number five in both the coaches poll and the AP poll in the preseason. Well, they're far and away the number one team in the in the land right now. They still got to go out and win the title. But in, as as we sit right now, no one's questioning Georgia's status as the number one team. To Adam's point, they have college football's best defense in a decade since 2011. Alabama. I think. I think the. The choice is easy for Kirby Smart, but if you don't, you know, if you're a voter who doesn't want to vote for sort of that obvious choice, the coach of the best team, I think the problem Hypo runs into is you have too many other options for that, like, coach who's exceeded expectations. You know, we've talked about Kiffin. If he wins the Egg Bowl, they got a really good chance of going to the Sugar Bowl, and, and, and Ole Miss would match the program record for victories in a season at 10 wins. They go into that bowl game with a chance of setting the pro- program record for victories. If Leach wins the Egg Bowl, you know, he wins eight games in a year where Mississippi State was picked to finish last in the West. And then you get to Sam Pittman. If Arkansas wins on Saturday against Missouri, the Hogs finish with eight victories in the toughest division, playing in the toughest division in college football. And, uh, you know, Arkansas was 4-20 and in the two seasons before Pittman's uh, arrival there. So to go... Eight and four entering a bowl game if they beat Missouri on Saturday. I think Sam Pittman would be a candidate too. So I think that's the problem that that Josh Heupel I think encounters is if you don't want to vote for Kirby, there's just too many other options out there in terms of that you know that guy that took a sleeper team and and elevated them to a little bit of a better year than than what they're expected to have. Well, if there were subcategories, I would say Josh Heupel maybe uh, was the best transformative coach uh, of making a hard <laughs> left turn. With <laughs> Are you okay with subsections here? Oh, here, man. Come on, Adam. <laughs> the guy that made the hardest left turn uh, of, <laughs> of what he inherited to what he turned it into, and I'm speaking mostly on the offensive side, but, he, I mean, even, even what they've done defensively to actually be competitive on that side of the ball. I want to play the what-if game with you guys, if you will. What game did Josh Apple or games did he need to win 
uh, for him to win this award. I think if he beats Lane Kiffin, if he beats Ole Miss, he he's got a chance because then you're talking about probably an eight and four season um, with another uh, a win against another ranked team. Uh, if he had beaten Florida and Ole Miss, he's a shoe in. But I, I think if he had beaten Ole Miss, he probably would have a much better chance. Well, I think if he'd have beaten uh, Pittsburgh and beaten Ole Miss, he could have won it because then he'd be nine and three after a three three and seven team last year. And 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 I think people are so aware of the mass exodus to the transfer portal. They know that Tennessee lost about 10 guys with starting experience. So, uh, yeah, and he came he came really and just so close to winning those games. He should get the so close SEC Coach of the Year uh, award. Yeah, the way? almost, like the movie Almost Famous. That's right. Almost made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's, let's put the shoe on the other foot here. If Clark Lee pulls out that victory over South Carolina – and gets and, to three victories after after opening the season with a three touchdown loss to to ETSU. I mean, he's a shoe in at that point, though, right? So I mean, we can play this ifs and buts games and 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 easily make Clark Lee the coach of the year with just one victory over South Carolina. I, I think, think my headphones are not filtering through the sarcasm font. I'm going to have to get them adjusted. Now, mine are set up for sarcasm. I, I think he would. Uh, I think he would have needed to beat Missouri and South Carolina. He pulls that off, and mm, people forget about that early season debacle. To seriously answer your question, Adam, I, I think I'm probably with John. The if Heupel beats Kiffin, I think it would it would elevate his status certainly in in my mind. It, it wouldn't to me. It still wouldn't be enough to topple Kirby Smart uh, by any means. I think that it might be enough to pull him past Sam Pittman or Mike Leach. If Heupel could have beat Ole Miss and Pittsburgh, it puts him to nine and three. Tennessee's in the conversation at that point, probably for the Citrus Bowl. And I think Heupel would be knocking right on the door of SEC Coach of the Year. As it stands, it's a fun storyline. There's something to talk about here going into the Vanderbilt game, but it, it sure feels like a long shot. Which, speaking of long shots, jokes about Vanderbilt aside, we've seen... Vanderbilt treat this game like it's the Super Bowl. Adam, you've covered this from Vanderbilt's side of things. You know, Tennessee has multiple rivals on their their schedule. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. I mean, you go on down the line. This is like I said, this is a Super Bowl for Vanderbilt. Can you put some context into how Vanderbilt players treat this game, Adam, and, and and should that, is that any reason for concern for Tennessee entering this game? Uh, I mean, they, they treated exactly what you would think it, they would as an underdog. Um, there was a short period of time where they tried to shed that and say, we've won so many games in so many years. So um, we're now the, the top team in the, in the state, but the, the underdog tag is always there. That's how they treat it. Um, if you know, and I know John, you wrote about this this week that if you lose to Vanderbilt, if you're a Tennessee coach and you lose to Vanderbilt, that's how you get fired. Um, at Vanderbilt, if you're a coach that beats Tennessee, that's how you get a contract extension, and that that can extend your your tenure a couple of years, regardless of what you do elsewhere. I mean, James Franklin won two in a row, and you know they they're about to build a statue to him. Um, you know, Derek Mason won what three in a row, I think it was, 
And that got him, essentially, that got him two contract extensions. There were other things that he did too, go to a bowl and so on. But um, his his tenure at Vanderbilt was probably at least two or three years longer because he had beaten Tennessee. You know, it's it's just like any rivalry that you have where there's a dominant team and an inferior team, just historically speaking. You know, if you're at Auburn and you beat Alabama, a lot of other things are excused. Um, if you're at South Carolina and you beat Clemson, a lot of other things are excused. If you're at Vanderbilt and you beat Tennessee head to head, you can you can go three and nine, and people will sort of let that go because you beat the Vols. And Clark Lee knows that as well as anybody. He he, he played at Vanderbilt. He knows this game uh, can atone for a whole lot of sins over the over the course of the year. Um, I don't know if Josh Heupel gets that or not, but it's probably perfectly fine because. Um, they just need to score a whole lot of points, and uh, uh, Vandy's not going to be able to keep pace with them. If, in fact, Vanderbilt did beat Tennessee, and Vanderbilt elected to put up a statue of Clark Lee, where would they put it? You're familiar well, with the campus. Well, they had started one for Derek Mason about three years ago, <laughs> and the, I think they started with like the feet and the knees, and they never got up to the rest of the like up to the torso or anything. So they could probably just just add on from there and put Clark Lee's head on it. Uh, now, I mean, that would, um, that's what everybody there is. Usually what you do at Vanderbilt is when a season goes south, you circle this one and say, okay, well, I'll hang on for the Tennessee game. And, and you figure out a way that maybe that one day it could happen. The difference between this Vanderbilt team and past ones is there's not that one thing. You know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that there's not one thing they're really good at. Um, James Franklin had, I mean, they they had a more talented team than Vandy usually has, so they could match up with Tennessee in terms of talent-wise more than others, uh, more than past Vanderbilt teams. Uh, Derek Mason had NFL-caliber defensive players, not all the way across the, the, the first 11, but enough. Um, they had Ralph Webb who and, and a very good offensive line that had two or three NFL players on the offensive line so they could run the ball. Um, they had Kyle Shermer that lit up Tennessee for years at quarterback. They don't have a Kyle Shermer right now. They don't have a Ralph Webb. They don't have uh, NFL offensive linemen. They don't have early round picks, first round draft picks on the defense. They don't have something that Vandy can hang their hat on and say, if this one facet of our team plays its best that day, it can neutralize things. I think that's what why Vandy is in trouble in this game. And that's something that Clark Lee is going to have to, to fix. They have to be good at at least one thing. Usually Vanderbilt's pretty good at defense, competitive at defense, but they're not even that right now. John, I got the answer to your question where you put the statue. You just remove about 10,000 seats from that stadium and you build a stadium plaza right within the stadium. You erect the statue of Derek Mason, maybe start working on one of Clark Lee for that road victory over Colorado State. You don't need all those empty seats anyway, so just you know, take a chunk of, of, of 10 to 30,000 seats out of that stadium, turn it into a real nice um, stadium plaza, open air, maybe get some of those tall tables that are really in vogue in stadiums now so people don't actually have to sit in the seats. Uh, I mean, Vanderbilt seats aren't full anyway, so maybe maybe fans would like those tall tables and you could go mill about at, at the stadium plaza there and, and uh, you know, look at the statues of some of these past great coaches that uh, have, have rolled through that historic program. Why not just put it uh, under the stadium, right on the path where we go to get to the press box? <laughs> That's a little treacherous there. Uh, 
I just don't think you can make it a lighthouse so you can see your way. I don't think you can make it down that path these days, John. You'd have to. Get I could the, not. There's no way. Escort problems and no. I want to know why. Why is it that Neyland Stadium, for all its amenities, you you go to the you usually go to the press conferences by walking through the stands of fans. And then at a place like Vanderbilt, which hasn't had an upgrade. I mean, its stadium's like 80 years old. And you, you you have a path just specifically for media that it's unencumbered from anybody else. Why why, why is that? Could Neyland not get a tunnel like Vanderbilt Stadium has? Well, that's, that's a great question because, I mean, I have to have my column in right away. So I couldn't go for interviews anyway. But if I wanted to go for interviews... There's no way I could walk through the stands. Uh, I wouldn't. That's another death march. Whereas at Vanderbilt, you can make a beeline through the stands because there's no fans there. So even if you had to go through the stands at Vanderbilt, it'd be no issue. Uh, You'd be from press box to field in 20 seconds, I'd say. Yeah, I love driving to a game at at, uh, Vanderbilt Stadium. There's no traffic. You just pull up there nearby in the park. I guess they've still got the same parking since the last time I went. Uh, just pull up there. It's just, just really a laid back atmosphere or no tension. You walk over to the press box under the stadium and hopefully that nothing crashes through and, and you're good to go. Mm. We've got the stage, the stage set for a trap game. Just, just setting it up there. No way can Vanderbilt upset Tennessee. Right? The Commodores are fueling their fire listening to this podcast y'all y'all chiseling away at my vanderbilt credibility by the minute Uh, i feel like my association with this pod will never let me go back to nashville again all right guys well good luck to you adam if your travels back to to nashville but uh anyway happy holidays everybody enjoy your your thanksgiving enjoy some rivalry action this weekend uh, not only between tennessee and vanderbilt but throughout the sec and we'll be back next week to look ahead to bowl season for the vols thanks for listening to this edition of the volunteer state